0: Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at a few verses here. Matthew 21, starting with verse number 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to Me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord has need of them." And immediately he will send them. And this will be done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, setting on a donkey, a colt. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid clothes upon it, and Jesus sat upon them. And a great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all of the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Lord, we just pray that you would add your blessing to the preaching of the word. We, uh, we give our minds and our hearts the attention to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit uses the written word to convey Uh, your message to us today. And we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Uh, Christianity is 2.3 billion people. That's a lot of people in the world. 2.3 billion. And um, it's growing at a very fast rate. And the world population is only 7 billion. So you have 7 billion people in the world 2.3 2.3 billion of them are, they follow the teachings of Jesus, or they claim to follow the teachings of Jesus. So that is one third of the approximately one third of the Earth's population claims to follow the teachings of Jesus. I think that's interesting because um, this is Easter Week, or what we've referred to as Holy Week, and throughout the whole world, at least two billion of us is going to remember the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to make some noise this week. Can somebody say amen? And uh, every Easter when I'm getting dressed, I turn the news on, and I just love to hear the news, Fox News and CNN and the rest of them. I love to hear them say uh, there's approximately two point some billion Christians around the world, and they're celebrating the resurrection of this Jewish man. And so every year that just brings a smile to my heart because it makes me realize that Jesus has more than He left. He left 120 in the upper room and there's at least you know, a couple billion of us that's following the teachings of Jesus. Can somebody say amen to that? And so this week I encourage you to reflect upon the story, upon His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I want you to read it. I want you to study it. I want you to get it in your heart because let us commemorate why we do this, and why we celebrate it. Starting Holy Week, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday's important. You know why Palm Sunday's important? Because out of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of all the Gospels, the Palm Sunday story is recorded in all of them. And that's interesting because some miracles of Jesus is only recorded in a couple of the Gospels. But the Palm Sunday story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's very significant for us because I believe that if it's recorded in all of the Gospels then we need to pay attention to it because it holds great truth to us. It's applicable to our lives. And so, like I said, some miracles of Jesus is only recorded in Matthew. Some's recorded in Luke. Some of them uh, don't record the same details. But the Palm Sunday story is recorded in all Of the Gospels. And if that is true, if I've read my Bible correctly, then I think that we need to pay attention to the importance of Palm Sunday. Now, I have preached Palm Sunday messages since I was 22 years old, since I've been pastoring. And every year I think to myself, what can I do to exhaust this story? What else is in this story that I can exhaust? I mean, there's only one story. How can I exhaust it anymore? And so, uh, I didn't have a very good week physically. I was uh, actually sick all week until Monday through Friday with a severe case of a stomach flu and everything else. Um, and so I hadn't been feeling good, and so I thought to myself, well, this week I'm just going to have to pull out a sermon that I preached years ago for Palm Sunday. But I was studying, uh, reading over it, and I felt like the Holy Spirit had given me something fresh to give to you. Aren't you glad for that? And I want to give something fresh to you. And I was encouraged as I read this story, as I begin to meditate over this story, I was encouraged to find what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share with you. And I want to share with you this morning what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you. Uh, what is the big deal about Palm Sunday? You ever asked that question? What is the big deal about Palm Sunday? What is all this commotion Why is all this celebration? Why do we need to read read the Scriptures? There are other important things in the Bible we could read, other important miracles of the Bible that should devote our attention to. But why should we devote attention to the Palm Sunday story? And so I'm glad that you're here because I'm going to reveal to you a few things that you should know about the Palm Sunday story. The first thing that I want you to see about the Palm Sunday story is that if you look very closely, you'll find that Jesus did not come to fulfill their expectation. He came to fulfill their needs. And that's very, very important. Very, 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 very important that we see that because Jesus was living in a day and age where His people, uh, God's people, was oppressed by the Romans. And uh, God's people wanted to be free. They They wanted to live in their own land. They wanted to live in freedom. And they wanted somebody like King David do you remember King David in the Old Testament? King David was one of the kings of Israel that uh, had peace and prosperity in his providence, had peace and prosperity in his kingdom. And so the, the God's people longed for a day where they would have a deliverer like King David that would bring peace and prosperity to their land where they could live in their land peacefully. They could live in their land not being oppressed. And they could have a deliverer like unto David. That's what they were longing for. That's what they hoped for. That's what they wanted. That was their expectation. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't come to meet their expectation. As a matter of fact, they were disappointed. Jesus came to meet their need. They were looking for a political kingdom, but Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. The problem was in their hearts. And they failed to realize that. You remember what Jesus said to his own disciples in Mark chapter 7, verse 1? Jesus said, It is out of the heart and through the mouth that comes murder and adultery and fornication and gossip and slander. In other words, Jesus said in Mark 7 that the problem of man's, the the dilemma of man's problem is actually man's heart. That is the problem, is man's heart. It's not a political kingdom, it's not having a new president. It's not having a new government or regime, it is actually the problem is found in the heart. So, back then, Jesus didn't meet their expectation, He came to meet their need. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we get discouraged because we expect God to do something, and when God don't do what we expect Him to do, we become so disappointed. But you have to realize that God is God, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. God does things way beyond what we can think or imagine. And so back then, they wanted a political kingdom. They wanted him to overthrow Rome and to establish a strong kingdom. They wanted to be a part of that kingdom. You know, the disciples wanted to be a part of that kingdom. Judas wanted to be a part of that kingdom so bad that he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. How can you sell somebody for 30 pieces of silver when you watched a man raise somebody from the dead? when they healed the sick, when they brought wine to water, how can you sell somebody for 30 pieces of silver? You've got to understand the disciples' mindset. They wanted to be a part of Jesus' new kingdom. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans and Jesus to set up a kingdom. And so these disciples were eager for Jesus to do that. You know, the disciple even cut the ear off of a servant. Jesus said, put away your swords. You can call 12 legions of angels. The disciples were eager about Jesus establishing His kingdom right before Jesus was ascended. Acts chapter number 1, around verse 8 and 9. Jesus is being ascended. And what did the disciples do? The disciples asked Jesus, when will you establish your kingdom? You see, that was their expectation. That was their mindset. If Jesus can raise the dead and bring healing and turn water into wine, then can He not overthrow the Romans? Can He not bring us peace and prosperity once again? I mean, they took their palm branches and waved their palm branches. But the word Hosanna means save us. They were crying to the Lord, save us. Save us from Roman oppression. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't meet our expectation. God is not required to make you happy. God wants to make you holy. God is not in this to meet all of your expectations. He wants to meet your need. It reminds me in Acts chapter 3 about the lame man at the gate beautiful. He expected alms, did he not? He wanted alms from Peter and John as they went to pray. But you see, Peter and John, full of the Holy Spirit, said, I don't have what you expect. I don't have silver and gold, but I do have what you need. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, God doesn't give us what we expect, but He will take care of our needs. That is why Paul said, I thank God that He He supplies all my needs according to His riches in glory. So Palm Sunday is important. Because it's not about Him fulfilling all your expectations. It is about Him taking care of your needs. How many would raise your hand this morning and say, God has met my needs before. He hasn't always met my wants. He hasn't always come through with my expectations. But I testify that He is always a God that takes care of my needs. Can I hear an amen? He is a God that takes care of my needs. What's the big deal about Palm Sunday? I mean, really, what's the big deal? I mean, yeah, He takes care of our needs, not necessarily of our expectations. But another thing that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants you to know this morning is that as you read this story, Jesus did not come into Jerusalem on a war horse. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey. You see, Roman generals, when they conquered a providence, when they were victorious, They would come into a providence on a war horse, and the people would come out. They would be raptured out to celebrate their king or their emperor. And Jesus here in this like manner doesn't come on a horse, but he comes on a donkey. You see, a donkey in Bible days represents humility, represented peace. And it's interesting, number two, my number two point, it's interesting to me that the only time that Jesus is exalted in the Gospels or elevated, it's, it's interesting that Jesus, the only time He elevates Himself in the Gospels is in the Palm Sunday story. Jesus elevates Himself on a donkey. That's the only time you see Jesus elevated Himself above the crowd. Now, He was elevated on the cross, But Jesus didn't do that. The people did that. Jesus elevated himself on a donkey above the crowd. That is the only story in the New Testament that you find Jesus actually elevated himself above the crowd. Why is that important? Because I believe that there's a spiritual principle to that. Is that if you're going to bring peace, if you're going to bring peace, you got to walk in humility. Jesus saddled a donkey. A donkey represents humility and peace. If you're going to bring peace, then you're going to have to walk in humility. Humility is what will elevate you to bring peace. You see, sometimes we want to fight with fight. Sometimes we want to war with war. Sometimes we want to to fight with weapons. You see, that doesn't work. Jesus is saying, really, if you want to fight my way, then you've got to fight with peace. You've got to fight with humility. You've got to elevate yourself to a place of humility. And when you elevate yourself to a place of humility, it will bring peace to a situation. How many can say amen? You see, when you're in a battle, when you're in a war, you want to be right, don't you? You want to defend yourself. There's no humility about that. But in God's way, if you're going to fight, you've got to elevate yourself in humility in order for it to bring peace. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem bringing peace. He is walking in humility. He is not not egotistical like those former Roman emperors. He's not like the last Roman emperor who would ride in his stallion with his horse, all egotistical and narcissist about how how his providence needs to celebrate him because he conquered the victory. That wasn't Jesus' mindset. He came with a spirit of humility. He rode in with a donkey. He is not trying to fight. He is not trying to overthrow the Romans. He is going to win the war with peace. He is going to win the war with humility. And I'm telling you ladies and gentlemen, you can win the war in your life, in your home, if you can just walk in peace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes you've got to make a decision that you've got to make peace. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes peace is not there. You've got to make it. You've got to set the atmosphere. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was a peacemaker. He set the atmosphere. He walked in humility. He didn't come in with a war horse. He didn't come in with weaponry. He didn't come in throwing out the Roman generals and throwing over the Roman authorities. He came in a spirit of peace. And God is asking you to walk in peace. Walk in humility. You see, what is the big deal about Palm Sunday? I'll tell you the big deal about it. The big deal is, is that God doesn't fit our expectations. He doesn't fulfill our expectations. He meets our needs. It also teaches us that if you're going to win in life, you've got to walk in humility. You've got to disregard the pride. You've got to take up the cloak of humility so it can bring peace in your life. One of the other things that I see in this story that I find so ironic is that I want you to see the significance of them waving the palm branch. They took up the palm branch and they began to wave. And they cried, Hosanna in the highest. Of course, Hosanna means save us. So they were crying to the Lord that the Lord would save them from Roman oppression. But another thing I want you to see about this is this. It was common for the children of Israel to take palm branches. It was very common for them to do that. They didn't do that just for Jesus. It was a common practice for them. And if you know anything about Jerusalem, Jerusalem sits on a hill. And if you're going to go to Jerusalem, because at Jerusalem is the temple, and if you're going to go to Jerusalem, you've got to go up the mountain, go up a hill to get to Jerusalem. And when the people of God approached Jerusalem, when they approached the temple, They would approach singing the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms is a collection of psalms in the book of Psalms. And what the people of God would do, they would sing the songs as they approach Jerusalem. you remember the psalm that says, Look into the hills for which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord of God who made heaven and earth. They're looking to the temple of God. So as they approach Jerusalem, they would sing the songs. They were called the Hallel songs. Some of the songs were called Hosanna. Now the reason they did that was because as they approached Jerusalem, as they waved the palm branches, they were hoping that God would send a deliverer and free them. And as they approached, they would be thanking God that one day He would send a deliverer to free them. They didn't even realize That as they were waving palm branches that day, that God had already sent them a deliverer. That God had already sent them a Messiah. They were waving palm branches hoping that God would do something, but they missed it right in front of them. He was right there in the flesh. And they missed it. They were looking for something else. And they missed it. And ladies and gentlemen, how many times have we missed what God wants to do in our life? And through our life, because we were looking at something else. Or we were anticipating something else. You see, they missed it. They were anticipating a ruler to deliver them from Roman oppression, but yet God had a different plan. I want to pinpoint something to you that I find interesting to me. the Jerusalem, which is on the hill, Mount Zion... And you know in Jerusalem is the temple and the temple is where the presence of God resided for the people of God. So it was very sacred for them. It was very holy for them. Their life revolved around the temple. And one of the things that I see in the prophet, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 18, the prophet said, there's coming a day because of your rebellion because of what you did, because of your corruption, God is going to take the glory of God away from the temple. He's going to remove the glory of God from the temple. That's found in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. I want to read it to you because I think this is significant with the Palm Sunday story. Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse number 18. The glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood above the cherub. You see? The prophet, if you read the whole chapter, you will find that because of their corruption, God said, I'm going to remove the glory of God. I'm going to take the glory from the temple. But the same prophet, the same prophet also declared that the glory of God would return back to the temple. That is also found in Ezekiel chapter number 43, verse 4. Look at it. Ezekiel 43, verse 4. Ezekiel 43, verse 4 and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. So what I want you to see here, don't lose me, you see the prophet saying the glory of God is going to depart. And if you read the chapter, you'll find that it departed because of their sin. But the same prophet said the glory of God is going to come back to the temple. Chapter 43, verse 4. It's going to come back. And it's going to be stronger than it's ever been. Now that's interesting because when Jesus was on earth, the glory of God had been absent. You know that. Jesus became so frustrated that He overthrew the money changers. Overthrew the tables. He was frustrated. He declared that my house would be a house of prayer. Jesus would weep. Because the temple of God was laying in corruption. But the Palm Sunday story teaches us something different. The Palm Sunday story teaches us that the glory of God is going to return back to the temple. How do I know that? I want you to pay attention to what this says. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1. Matthew 21, verse number 1. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent to His disciples. So you see what's happening here? Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives sets towards the east. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. Now what did the prophet say? The prophet said that when the glory of God returns, it will return from the east. It's coming from the east. It's going to return from the east. Could it be that Matthew, who is a Jew, who is familiar with the prophecies of the Old Testament, could it be that he is telling us that Jesus is actually the glory of God that's coming back to the temple? He is actually coming back to... And this time, the glory of God is not a cloud. The glory of God is not a mystic cloud that comes upon the temple any longer. But the glory of God is in in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So what does that tell me? Palm Sunday teaches me that the glory of God is not a goose bump. The glory of God is not a feel-good feeling. The glory of God is not me falling on the floor. Or the glory of God is not me running around the building. The glory of God is when I come in contact in a relationship in the person of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is coming back to the temple. Glory of God is coming back to the temple. You see, what, what's the big deal about Palm Sunday? Well, he doesn't meet all your expectations. He meets your needs. Jesus elevated himself in humility to demonstrate to us that peace can never be obtained unless there's humility teaches us that the glory of God is not found in a cloud, it's found in a person. I know some of us like the glory of dust and the glory cloud, and and that's all good and fine, but listen, the glory is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And when you come in contact with Him, you experience the glory of God. How many wants Jesus if you have Jesus, you have more glory. Somebody say amen. More Jesus, more glory. Less Jesus, less glory. If you want more glory, get more Jesus. Can I say that again? More Jesus. More Jesus. Less Jesus. See? Now, isn't it interesting... Now, look at my Bible here. This is chapter 20, okay? The Palm Sunday story is chapter 21. Chapter 20 deals with a mother by the name of uh, she was Zebedee's wife. And the Bible says that I think it's verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to her, came to him, excuse me, with her sons, kneeling down. And saying, can my son sit with you in your kingdom? So, get this. You have a mother in chapter 20 coming to Jesus, saying to Jesus, I want my sons to sit with you in your kingdom. Now Jesus never never denied the request. Jesus just asked the question, can you drink the same cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized with? Jesus is not against greatness. Jesus just wants to know, can you fulfill the responsibility? Can you handle the responsibility? So, in chapter 20, you have a mother requesting to Jesus that her son sit with Him in the kingdom. You see, that's the mindset. You see the mindset? They wanted a kingdom... So here's a mother saying, I know you're going to be a king someday, so I want my sons to sit with you in your kingdom. That's their mindset. Jesus wasn't trying to do that. But Jesus didn't didn't argue with the woman. Jesus asked the question, "Can, can your sons drink the same cup that I drink, be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized with? Now, you know that chapters and verses in the Bible are not inspired. We put chapters and verses there. So sometimes, if you read the Bible, the story just continues. So chapter 21 is the Palm Sunday story. And what's ironic in the Palm Sunday story, verse number 2, the Bible says, look at it, Matthew 21, verse 2, saying to them, go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied, a colt and her, loose them and bring them to me. Now the question is, is, who is them T-H-E-M. Who is them? Who is he talking to? Most scholars believe he's talking to those two sons in chapter 20 that he just had a conversation with. Who are those two sons? James and John. They are the disciples of the Lord. So most people believe it's James and John. And if that is true, it's interesting. You know why it's interesting? Because Jesus just had a conversation with them with his mother, with their mother and said, you know, I know you want your sons to be great, but can they drink the same cup? Can they be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized with? And then Jesus, if this is true, Jesus tells them to go get a donkey, untie it and bring it to me. I think that the point is clear. I think that greatness is not found in sitting on a throne. Greatness is not found in how many people submit to you. Greatness is not found in how many people are subject to you. But greatness is found in how many donkeys you can untie. How many donkeys can you untie? The donkey represents those who Jesus never set upon. The donkey represents those who have never heard the message never heard the Gospel. Greatness is found in how many people you can go untie. How many donkeys you can bring to Jesus. It's not how many people that can be Lord that you can be subject over and Lord over. Tell them, go get the donkey, untie it, And bring it to me. But Lord, I want to set in your kingdom, go get the donkey and untie it. You want to preach? You want to be great? You want to have the limelight on you? There's nothing marvelous, really. Nothing spectacular at all. How many people have you witnessed to? How many people have you opened your mouth up and told the gospel to? How many people have you encouraged to come to church? How how many people have you witnessed to? What about the family members in your own household? How many donkeys have you purposely untied this year and brought to Jesus? Or do you just want to sit in the kingdom? Do you just want a throne? But I find, church, that greatness is really found in getting your hands dirty and dealing with the donkeys of life. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that there are some donkeys that's a, that's a mess? There are some donkeys that, that's, that's dirty. But I promise you, that's where greatness is. Jesus teaches us that greatness is not found in the title, but greatness is found in the towel. How many feet are you able to wash? That's where greatness is found. And I encourage you this Easter season, Oh, you want the glory. If you have Jesus, you have the glory. And if Jesus is in you and you have the glory, then you are compelled to open your mouth and tell a donkey that Jesus needs to sit on you. He has need of you. The Lord has a purpose for you. A donkey that's dirty and smelly, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of that drug addict. The Lord has need of that prostitute. The Lord has need of that broken marriage. The Lord has need of it. Get down off of your throne today. Go untie a donkey. Bring him to Jesus. What's so big about Palm Sunday? Well, it's not about our expectations it's about him meeting our needs it's about walking in humility so that peace could be demonstrated not fighting with war with weapons of warfare for you don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world jesus said put away your swords i can call down 12 legions of angels Walk in humility. Put down your swords. Put down your pride. Exalt yourself in humility. It's about the glory of God being a person and not just a feeling. It's about a relationship with Christ. It's about about greatness being demonstrated and untying the donkeys of this world. It's What's so great about Palm Sunday? I'll tell you what's great about Palm Sunday. I I noticed that as I read this story, the fickleness of the crowd. I mean, there was a lot of fickleness about this crowd. I mean, uh, one moment, they're waving palm branches. Lord, save us. And you know, you read a couple chapters over and they're crying, Give us Barabbas! Let His blood be on our hands! What happened? What happened between the pages, church? How can you go from praise to criticism so quickly? How can you be so fickle so quickly? How can you go from praise to criticism so quickly? I'll tell you how that happens. You want to know how that happens? How can you go from praise to criticism so quickly? You go from praise. To criticism so quickly when your expectations are not met. Praise goes to criticism when your expectations are not met. It's hard to praise when your expectations are not met. Praise goes to criticism very quickly. When expectations are not met. God is saying it's not about expectations. It's about I've met your need. Can you still praise me with your need being met and not your expectation? Praise quickly goes to criticism when expectations are not met. And their expectation was not met. They wanted to deliver. Jesus said, i come to deliver you from sin. They wanted to be delivered from the bondage of the Romans. But Jesus said, I've come to deliver you from the bondage of the devil. Praise becomes criticism when expectations are not met. And that's what happened. You see Jesus on the cross. Nobody came but one man, John few women. Where were they? Our Lord is suffering on the cross as He tries to breathe. Pulls Himself up on the Roman cross just to gasp for air. The religious leaders making fun of Him. If you be the Son of God, come down off of that cross. The thief is crying, you saved others, save yourself. Where are the men that He poured Himself into? I'll tell you where they're at. They're locked up behind closed doors because they're disappointed that He didn't meet their expectation. And when He doesn't meet your expectation, we don't go to church, do we? We don't show up for the crucifixion. And we surely ain't going to show up for the resurrection because He didn't meet our expectation. But thank God there was a few women that just believed it anyway. Oh, when he, when he doesn't meet our expectations, we decide we don't want to serve anymore. When, when He doesn't meet our expectations, we decide we're not going to give anymore. I don't think things have really changed, have you? Over the 2,000 years? Just a different environment. Those cowards... Locked themselves up behind closed doors, scratched their head, saying, "I th- thought he was our deliverer. I thought that if he could raise the dead and heal the sick, certainly he deliver us from the Romans And that's the story today. Jewish people pray at the welling wall. Bow their heads in prayer. Asking God to send them a deliverer. Because they want to live in their land in peace. Muslims, Christians, Jews occupying the same land and the Jews are saying, we want our land back. We want somebody like the son of David. We want to live in peace. God send us a deliverer. But they missed it. Missed it. Sometimes, we're just like them. We miss God. Sometimes, you've got to bend down at the stable and you've got to wipe the hay off the baby's face just to make sure it's a baby. God, is born in the middle of your mangers. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like He's there. Doesn't meet anybody's expectations. But He sure does meet the need. Palm Sunday is important. Because He meets our needs. He tells us that it's about humility. He tells us That the glory of God is found in a person. He tells us that greatness is found not in a title, but is found in leading the donkeys and untying them and bringing them to the Lord. It's interesting that when they untied the donkey, one translation says they put clothes on the donkey. The early church fathers taught that the clothes represented the Gospel. When you unloose somebody to bring them to Jesus, you preach the gospel to them first. Put the clothes of the gospel on it first. If you untie it without sharing the gospel, the donkey will still be unsaved. Jesus never sat on the donkey until the clothes was laid upon the donkey. Jesus enters the heart of man when the gospel is preached to the man when the clothes is laid on the donkey, the Gospel is preached, Jesus enters the man. See, Palm Sunday, even though it's a familiar passage that we overlook at times, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's recorded in all the Gospels because I believe the writer wants us to know that this story is still applicable to your life today. And if you will put it into the practice, it could change your life forever. Amen.